This podcast is brought to you by Prolongevity, the award-winning eight-week program that can transform the lives of people with prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, and many other lifestyle-related illnesses. Founded by Graham Phillips, the pharmacist who gave up drugs. Good evening and welcome to the latest edition of the Prolongevity podcast. And we've got a really special guest with, uh, this evening, none other than Dr. Ken Berry, author of Lies My Doctor Told Me. And we're going to delve into that and some of Ken's background. Uh, Ken is uh, absolutely prolific on the media, a bit like Dr. Tro, who we had on recently. Uh, maybe not quite as aggressive, but he, he's up there. He's very, very plain spoken and all credit to him for that. So, Ken... Uh, so pleased to have you with us, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Graham. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, I just thought, um, obviously, you're very well known to your American audience. My audience is a bit more uh, European and Australian, New Zealand, uh, and they probably don't know you as well. Uh, and I thought perhaps as a starting point, you might just introduce yourself in terms of where your practice is and what your typical patient or client group is, because it's not, you're not the typical New York doctor, are you, by any means? Not quite. So I am classically trained in allopathic medicine at a state university here in the United States in in Tennessee. And uh, I've been practicing family medicine for over 20 years now and had a classic uh, clinic based practice for the first 20 years. And then we had a, a disastrous fire at the clinic where we lost everything. And uh, I kind of use that. I still have a, a small private practice of patients I've been seeing for decades, but more and more so I'm, I'm shifting to an online way of, of practicing medicine that's kind of a hybrid model, but it's allowed me to reach thousands and thousands of people that I would have never been able to help had I continued just to see people face to face in the clinic on a daily basis. And I, I feel like this is actually a more powerful way to practice medicine, to, to reach people instead of them having to take a plane flight and, and rent a car and rent a Airbnb, they can just get the information for free on YouTube. And so that's the model I've been practicing for the last several years since the fire. And it seems to be helping lots of people. I'm getting a lot of positive feedback. And so um, I started out very slender and athletic in my younger years. And uh, when I reached my early 30s, mid 30s, I became very metabolically unwell. I developed prediabetes. I was severely obese. Uh, I was 297 pounds. Oh, wow. I think, I think you beat Dr. Trow. I think he was only 250. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm a little <laughs> taller than him. So I, I feel like I want to feel like I carried it better. But yeah, I was, I was fat. Okay. Pre-diabetic had severe reflux, heartburn, rosacea, dandruff, toenail fungus, joint aches and pains. Like I was just miserable on a daily basis. And so I thought, well, you know, I should probably follow the American Diabetes Association diet since I'm pre-diabetic. Yeah. And I did that for three months. I started jogging. I ate lots of whole grains. I, I drank fruit juice smoothies and my pre-diabetes got worse and I yep. actually gained weight. And it was at that point that I said, you know, maybe there's, there's a better way. Maybe there's another way. Maybe there's a more ancestrally appropriate way. And so I started to read outside the box uh, and, and kind of ignored the ADA and the American uh, Nutrition and Diabetics and started reading books like uh, Robert Atkins' Diet Re Revolution, 
the primal blueprint by Sisson, the paleo diet by Cordain. And out of that, I started what I, I now call, call what we're all doing is rediscovering a proper human diet. <clears throat> and I think that's what I was doing. And I started to apply the principles that they talked about in, in their books. And uh, the exact opposite happened as when I applied the American Diabetes Association recommendations, I started to lose weight. My yeah. prediabetes quickly reversed and went away. My rosacea got better. My heartburn got better. My dandruff went away. My toenail fungus went away. All of my aches and pains and other maladies just dissipated got substantially better or disappeared completely. And so I started to recommend this kind of higher protein, higher fat, lower carbohydrate diet. That's kind of what I thought of it as back then to my most morbidly obese patients, people who had a BMI of 30 or more. And I'm like, dude, just try this for 90 days. What's the worst that could happen, right? Because they would come to the office to see me and they'd be like, oh my God, you look great. What have you been doing? And I'm like, well, it's funny you should bring that up because I was about to recommend it to you. And so I would <laughs> recommend this to my patients and they would immediately start to lose weight, start to yeah. feel better. I would have people who were previously ha had to have their cane with them to walk. And I would be like, when they would come to the office, I'd say, where's your cane? Oh, I don't need it anymore. My knee doesn't hurt anymore. And initially I thought these were just anecdotal experiences that there was no pattern right? There's not a pattern here. That's just, just random chance. But as I kept recommending it to more and more patients and started talking about it online, I started to receive hundreds and then thousands and now tens of thousands, if not more, of people saying, when I applied these simple dietary strategies to my diet, to my life, I got the following improvements. And I started to very quickly and easily see patterns in the reports, it's like, oh, so everybody who implements this way of eating, their blood pressure moves closer to normal. Yep. Everyone who implements this way of eating, their A1C improves. Everyone who implements this way of eating, their chronic inappropriate inflammation gets better, either yep. a little or a lot. And in many cases, goes completely away. Yeah. So it, it became very hard to ignore that repetitive pattern that I was seeing now thousands of times on a daily basis. And so it really encouraged me to dig into the literature, medical and nutrition that I had, you know, I would skim it. I would read the conclusion, uh, but I didn't really look at the research. Like, is this good quality research? Yeah. And so that made me go back and reexamine a lot of things, studies and a lot of research that I thought was valid. I thought was, you know, it was, it was bedrock. And it turns out that most of the nutrition research that I had thought was trustworthy is complete crap to use a technical term. Yeah. Right. And or, or, and or another way of putting it is lies, maybe. Uh, yeah, it was a lie. And so yeah. a lot of people are a little put off by the title of my book, Lies. My doctor told me, why not myths? Why not misconceptions? Well, if if you're if the person who does who cuts your hair, if they give you nutrition advice and it's wrong, that's just their opinion. They they they're entitled to that opinion, but you don't hold them to a higher standard. But when a doctor or a nutritionist or a dietitian, when they give you nutrition advice, you should hold them to a higher standard and, and they should be held to a higher standard. And when the advice that they're giving you is not only just a little bit wrong, 
but in many cases, exactly backwards. Diametrically upside down opposite. 100%, 180 degrees off from what they should be telling you. That's more than just misinformation. That's more than just that's their opinion. They have a fiduciary duty to their patients to give them the best nutrition advice possible. And when they don't do that, in my estimation, being a a common sense Southern country boy, (laughs) that's a big fat lie. That's a lie. They they literally shirked their duty as a professional and gave you some bullshit advice that they saw on in a magazine or on popular media, or they just blindly believe what their academy or association told them to repeat. That's more than just a, a myth or a misconception. And that's why I chose that uh, title, even though my publisher said, you know, maybe you shouldn't use that word. And I'm like, no, that's exactly the word that I mean <laughs> to use. And that's the word we will use. And I, I'm glad I, I stuck my with my guns on that because I think that shocks people enough. They're like, yeah. what, what? And so that was kind of the goal is to get people to understand you can't blindly believe your dietitian or your, your nutritionist. You can't blindly believe your healthcare provider because very, very commonly they are misled. They're busy, they're lazy, they're burnout, whatever, whatever the excuse is, that's fine. But the problem is, is the patient who's, who's blindly trusting them. The patient has one life. They have one chance to live a healthy, enjoyable, rewarding life. And if, if I, as their health care provider, give them misleading health and nutrition information, I've permanently damaged their life, haven't I? And so that I want people to understand this is very important. This is probably the most important thing that you might hear today is what you put in your mouth matters more than pretty much anything else in your life. If you're not eating a proper human diet, I don't care how big of a handful of pills you're taking, how many infusions or injections you're taking, you are never going to optimize your health with that strategy. And that's exactly why I call myself the pharmacist that gave up drugs, because I reached the same conclusion by a different route. Um, It's interesting, Ken. So I must admit, when I first saw the title of the book, I thought, is this guy maybe OTT? But actually, I think like Tro, because Tro can be quite aggressive. When when you meet Tro in person, you realize it's all born out of frustration and an absolute concern and conviction for his patients. And that's what leads him to have the, it's passion actually, and a certain amount of anger. And and I, I don't know if you feel the same. I feel very angry because I was given a great education. I learned a lot of science, but the science all led me to a dead end to propagate these myths or lies, you know, fat makes you fat, take a statin, all of this stuff. And as you said, once you discover this, you can't unsee it. What I think might be interesting though, for for my audience in particular, to describe the town where where you are in sort of practice environment, because it's it's very, very different from what um, I think any of the other people on the podcast have been, and certainly very different from kind of, you know, um, outer London suburbs where, where I practice. Sure. So I practice medicine uh, and have done so for the entirety of my career in a very small southern town uh, called Camden, Tennessee. And I think the entire county has a population of 18,000, give or take. So it's a, it is in no way a metropolitan area. It is a very, very tiny uh, town, uh, even calling it a city, maybe stretching it just a bit. 
yeah. the average person here is overweight. They are either pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic. They have metabolic syndrome. Probably 90% of people in this county have at least one marker yeah. of metabolic syndrome. And so very unhealthy, very, and, and, and 99% of their unhealth comes from the diet that they eat. Now, many people in this in this county and many people the world over don't think about their diet at all, right? They just eat yeah. whatever tastes good, whatever's in the, in the pantry. They just, they don't, they don't think about that. But even people in this county who were trying to eat healthier, and that's where my passion comes from, is the, the false the simulacra of health, the false yep. choice. And I want to talk about that for sure, because that matters. So if you're just eating whatever, you know, you're eating the crisps and the, the sugary treats and you don't care, then you get what you get. That's fine. But the, the really the thing that, that drives me crazy and, and, and makes me passionate about this is when that person says, you know what, I need to stop eating the crisps and eating the, the highly processed sugar filled grain. I need to start eating stop white bread i'm going to start eating whole wheat bread yeah healthy whole and i'm bread. going to stop drinking coca-cola and pepsi i'm going to start drinking orange juice yeah right and i'm going to stop drinking you know the the frappe with with 3000 calories in it from starbucks or whatever i'm going to start making fruit juice smoothies i'm going to start drinking and and so they're completely misled graham yeah they think that they've turned over a new leaf, but all they've done is just turn over the same old leaf because they're still eating a high carbohydrate, nutrient void, inflammatory diet. But and so when that when that dietary change that costs them money and costs them effort and costs them motivation, they they paid for that dietary change. When they get no results from that, they give up. And they yep. think, well, I, I'm just screwed, right? There's no help for me. I guess I'm just genetically fat and diabetic. I don't know. I don't yep. know. And then they exactly. go see their doctor, Graham, and their doctor says, oh, here's the American Diabetes Association handout. And I know that uh, your Diabetes Association, where you live, they follow the ADA. It's, just as bad. it's absolutely as bad. And it's often, just like in America, a lot of our public health is actually bankrolled by big food who don't yes. declare their conflicts yes. of interest. So they go to their doctor, Graham, and they, their doctor gives them the handout and says, this is what you do. Also, here's yep. a prescription for one or two yep. or three medications. Yep. And they, are, they go home and they're motivated, Graham. They're like, by God, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to be a glutton and a sloth anymore. I'm going to focus 100%. I'm going to empty my, my pantry. I'm going to go to the grocery. I'm going to buy all this new stuff. And then they fail again. Yeah. And it's that. Do, I mean, do you see the, the downward slippery slope of just yeah. screw it? I, I don't know what to do. And that's why the average doctor thinks that patients don't care about nutrition. They're not going to listen to you. Why waste time talking about nutrition? Just give them a prescription because yeah. first of all, doctors are pressed for time. Secondly, when you talk to the average patient about nutrition, their eyes do glaze over. That's true, but it's because They've run up against this brick wall of the false choice so many times. Oh, I'm going to join Weight Watchers. I'm going to join Noom. I'm going to follow this or that or that. And it, none of it works because it's yep. all calorie restriction. Eat lots of whole grains and lots of fruit juice. It's this, you might as well stick with the Pepsi Cola and the honey bun. 
because there's literally no difference in what you're doing. But people get frustrated. They give up. And, and, and that's the thing that pisses me off and makes me want to act like Dr. Tro on social media. But I try to rein it in a little bit. But, but that's so devastating to that. Just imagine, put yourself in their, their shoes. They've tried again and again and again. They yeah. spent so much effort and motivation and willpower to yeah. stick to this diet that their doctor told them to follow. And it does nothing to improve their health. That's, that's, that's the part that triggers me. Yeah, same. And when, the, when, when none of the advice works, we don't blame the advice, right? We blame the patient because they didn't follow it sufficiently. Because sure. we know the advice is right because, well, that's the advice. That's right. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. So I just wanted to pick out a couple of things from the book um, that struck me. So um, it's you've written, uh, or rather, um, there are... The, the, my good friend Gary Feck has done a, um, an introduction and um, we've had Gary on the podcast and he's the nicest, funniest guy that you could ever meet. And of course, um, he um, is one of those, like Tim Noakes, who's also in another podcast, who fell foul of the establishment and nearly got, you know, hanged by the neck and yep. went through absolute hell. For what? For doing the inappropriately curing someone's diabetes, basically. The intent of this book is not necessarily to blame individual doctors. Rather, the purpose is to consider the health washing of their medical education. And I would say exactly the same is true of my profession, pharmacy. And we've been tainted by vested interests. Guilty. Absolutely guilty. My doctor told me, um, my doctor told me spend some time denouncing this in that arena. And I couldn't agree more. The other thing that I pull out, pick out, and this is something I've seen quotes, I've seen Malhotra quotes quite often. Half of what you were taught at medical school will in 10 years have been shown to be wrong. But the trouble is you don't know which half. And again, that's true for all, all health professionals. Um, so, um, you know, I think you've had absolutely the right guy in getting in Gary to do uh, the background for you. Um, and in your early part of the doc. Uh, of the book, and you've kind of covered it to some extent. You've reflected on the nature of being a doctor. You know, your doctor's only human. Uh, he's under a lot of pressure. He's got bills to pay. He's got, you know, a huge bank loan to perhaps pay off. And so all of that plays into it, as well as the um, the education system, which I, I now am convinced all health professionals, it's profoundly corrupt. I think the dietitians are trained by the big food industry and all the health professionals essentially are trained by uh, the farmer industry. Um, and, and, you know, we think tobacco is a, is a difficult paradigm. Um, compared with tobacco, this is a walk in the park. So perhaps you'd say a little bit about that because it, you've obviously got some strong convictions and you've articulated them really well in the book. Yeah, big food and big pharma are just as dangerous and just as bad as big tobacco, but they they just don't kill you as quickly, Graham. And that's that's the really the only noticeable difference. Yeah. Uh, the the accountants and the attorneys that work for them are constantly crunching the numbers, and there are many uh, pharmaceuticals, as you're well aware, that that were on the cusp of FDA approval. Uh, but the, the bean counters, as we call yeah. them here, I don't know if you have that term there, but basically do, the yeah. guys that figure up, are we going to lose more in lawsuits than we gain in profits? Would, yeah. would tell them, dude, no, you can't, you can't go public with this drug or with this food because the lawsuits are going to outweigh the profit. 
That's exactly how they think at the boardroom level. And the average person doesn't think that way. The average person trusts their, their grocery, their supermarket. They trust these big corporations and they think, well, they would never harm us. But the truth is actually the opposite. They don't mind harming you slightly whatsoever. They don't mind harming you slowly with evidence that's only going to become apparent in 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, they they have no hesitancy harming you in that fashion. Now, they are not going to harm you quickly because an attorney could quickly sniff that out and there'd be a huge yeah. lawsuit. Right. And so they make these esti- estimations and these judgments every single day at the boardroom level in the big food corporations and the big pharmaceutical corporations. And they'll pull foods and they'll pull drugs if they're like, yeah, it's too dangerous. We, we can't take that chance. But if it's a little dangerous, if it's only going to show that there is harm done over 20, 30, 40 years, they know that there's they're, they're not going to suffer any financial damages because of that. They'll, they'll proceed full bore with, yeah. with, with that kind of food and that kind of pill. And the average person has no clue about that like you and I do. And, and that's another reason for my passion is that it, when when somebody does become aware, oh, Kellogg's, oh, Mondelez, uh, they're, they are not my best friend. They do not care. Coca-Cola doesn't give a damn if you have a Coke and a smile. As long as you buy the Coke, they don't care if you ever smile. They just want your money. That's, that's the truth of the matter. And when the average person kind of comes face to face with that realization, immediately it changes them. And they're like, oh, okay. So if that's bullshit, I wonder what else is bullshit. Yeah. And it kind of opens your mind just to crack, just a little crack in the door. And then all of a sudden you start to question multiple things. And I think that's a very healthy place for the average human mind to be is to question lots of things, lots of things that you took for granted. The nutrition advice that your mom and your grandmother gave you, was that good advice or are they did they only give that to you because that's what their mother taught them? Should you break that cycle? Is that part of your heritage and part of your culture? Or is that just what they were taught and passed on to you not knowing any better? Is the dietary recommendations given to you by your dietitian and the American Diabetes Association, is has that been proven with controlled research that that is the best diet for a diabetic? Hint, the answer is no. There's no studies that prove that that's the best diet for diabetics. That's just a diet that the gray-haired gentlemen in long white coats got together in a room and said, yeah, let's just say, let's make that the standard diet recommendation. There is no controlled research in humans that shows that if a diabetic eats that diet, that they can reverse their diabetes or improve their diabetes. Yeah, that's the problem. And so you and I are fighting against behemoths. Yeah, we are. We are literal Davids fighting multiple huge Goliaths. And if you don't have a little passion, you won't stay in that fight for very long. 100 percent. The 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 first chapter uh, chapter heading is trusting God, not in your doctor. Um, And. I've got huge respect for the medical profession. My partner's a GP, so I always try to make it clear that I'm not here to bash doctors. And I think actually you're not here to bash doctors either. How do you think the relationship with physicians should go? Because there's some, you know, you cover it in the book about a partnership approach and about where the balance of power lies. So just lay out your philosophy. 
So your doctor should be, you, you should consider your doctor, your learned health partner. Okay. Your doctor is not your daddy. Your doctor is not your boss. If your doctor recommends something, you are well within your rights as a patient to respectfully question that and say, I'd love to see the research. You don't have to be a PhD or an MD or a DO in order to Google something and look something up. If you don't know a word, look it up. You can learn that word. You are a human being. You're very intelligent. You're very smart. Regardless of your profession, you have the ability to understand the majority of, of medical and nutrition research. Say, I, don't, I, that, I find that hard to believe that a diabetic should eat a high carbohydrate diet. Can you show me the research that, that proves that? <laughs> and I love that when, when a patient asks a doctor or a pharmacist or a dietitian that question, because the answer very, very commonly is consternation. Like, what yeah. do you mean show you the research? Well, I'm sure that there's there's controlled research in humans that that proves that a high carbohydrate diet that you just recommended to me is the best diet for diabetics or somebody with hypertension or obesity or whatever the chronic medical condition is. Most doctors have never thought of it in that way. They they just they just assumed that it was proven or the ADA wouldn't recommend it, right? And so when you ask that question to your doctor, that's a very powerful question. You always ask it with respect and deference. I know you're busy, doctor, but could you could you have your you're a nurse or your assistant just email me the research that proves that this high carbohydrate diet is best for diabetics? I'd love to look over that. I know I'm not a doctor, but you know, I just I'm curious. I'd like to know. But when you ask that question, you actually make your doctor think. And I say in the book, you can lead a doctor to knowledge, but you can't make them think. And th that's very true. But when you ask questions like that, you force your doctor to think. And of often thinking is the last thing your doctor wants to do. They want to finish this visit with you and move on to the next patient. But when you make them think, you make them examine, why are you, why are you, why are you recommending that to all of your patients? Do you know for sure that's been proven safe and effective? When they get home very often, instead of switching on the telly, they'll go, yeah, I wonder if, the, if that's been proven. Let me look that up. And they start doing internet searches. And that's the true power of this is when patients make their doctor question their recommendations, make their dietitian question the recommendations, they'll start to look it up themselves. And what they're going to find at the end of that rabbit hole, you know very well, Graham, yeah. is that no, the American Diabetes Association has never been proven that their recommendations are the best recommendations, that it's never been even researched. They're the best recommendations for the profitability of the food industry. That's been Oh, proven. yes, that is true. <laughs> and that can be proven in a controlled trial that, that it is the most profitable way of eating for diabetics to eat a high-carb diet because Pfizer and Merck and all the other big pharma companies are going to make billions if you keep eating that high-carbohydrate diet. I think it's a very important point that you make. And I, I think it was Dr. David Armin who, who I first heard say this, and I could not agree more. It may not have been him. The best clinicians are the ones who learn at least as much from their patients as their patients learn from them. Yes, absolutely. I, I think a lot of us have become frightened of that. Like we have to be in the superior, there's a power play, and we feel we have to have the superior knowledge. And... If we acknowledge that, it changes the whole power balance in the relationship, doesn't it? And it, it's quite unsettling for you to think, yeah, maybe my patients know more than I do about 
certain amount of things. It's yep. challenging. And then the risk is that you then respond in an authoritarian way. Absolutely. And I think it's a great rule for patients and healthcare providers to follow yep. that anytime a patient asks a healthcare provider a respectful question, anytime that elicits either fear or anger in the healthcare provider, that is a very large red flag that something's amiss. Something's not right here. It should be a red flag to the patient. Why is yeah. my doctor becoming emotionally upset with me, even though I ask just a respectful question? That's very unusual. Partners don't act like that towards each other, do they? And to the healthcare providers who are listening to this, and you'd be surprised, Graham, more and more healthcare providers, they've heard keto or, or carnivore or low carb or Atkins. They've heard it so many hundreds of times that yep. they're starting to look look for this. Yep. Like, what is this? Yeah. If you as a healthcare provider, if your patient asks you a respectful question and you feel anger or fear welling up inside you, that's a big red flag, my, my friend, that you're not doing something right. If you become defensive when your patient asks you a question or when your patient brings in something they've printed off from the Internet, God forbid, if you become emotional and you, you feel threatened when they do that, that's a big red flag. You should be, as a healthcare provider, you should be honored and you should be impressed that your patient took the effort, took the time paid for the paper and the and the toner to print that out and bring and also you should be f flattered that they value your opinion so much that they found this and they want to bring this to you and discuss this with you. I know you're pressed for time, but that's important. That that is the sign that they they want to deepen their partnership with you and they want to pick your brain which they obviously respect or they wouldn't give a damn what you think about it. Right? And so for patients, if your doctor becomes defensive, when you ask a respectful question, you might need to look for a new healthcare provider. And doctors, if you become defensive when your patient asks you a question, you might want to re-examine your priorities and re-examine what you believe the practice of medicine actually is, because what you're currently practicing probably ain't it. So I thought it was important to get the philosophy out there because I think it explains a lot of your motivation. Um, and the book, the way you've laid out the book is very interesting and it's different from many of the other books um, that, that we've sort of uh, discussed on the podcast. So what you've done is you've laid out a variety of either lies or myths, what the background is, what the evidence is, uh, what the true evidence is, what further, what, 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 that, what you do about it. And then there's some further reading and I can't, and I wouldn't even you know, begin to do justice to an entire book in a, in a one hour podcast. But what I've kind of done is I picked out um, a selection of my own personal random myths to discuss with you. Maybe you'll have one or two more and then we'll sort of see where we end up. So I picked the ones, if you like, the most obvious ones. So because those are the ones that come up with me the most frequently, and I'm sure with you as well. So the, the first uh, one of my favorites is cholesterol really the enemy. So is cholesterol really the enemy, Cam? No, of course not. Your body actively makes cholesterol on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis. If cholesterol were the poison that, that your doctor had intimated that it was, your body definitely wouldn't make it, and your body would actively try to get it out of your system. Yeah. But the, the kidneys actually 
recycle cholesterol. They save it. They don't let it pass into the urine. You, your body doesn't let cholesterol pass into the feces. It actually recycles it and saves it because it's so important. Every sex hormone in the human body is made from cholesterol. Your skin, when you expose your skin to sunshine, ooh, that sounds dangerous. When you do that, your body uses cholesterol to make vitamin D. Yep. Your, your body uses cholesterol in the cell membrane of every single one of the trillions of cells that make up your body. The cell membrane of every cell is made of cholesterol. Yet somehow cholesterol is the enemy. And it's just, it's ridiculous on its face. And I everything in the book, I try to put through the, a triple lens. Number one, what does the research say? Number two, what's just the common sense of this situation? Yeah. And then number three, what's the ancestral appropriateness? What, what, what have human beings done for the last 300,000 years? And so when you use all three of those lenses, it quickly becomes just foolishness. Many of the lies that doctors tell their patients, it's like, what are you talking about? My body makes cholesterol. It uses cholesterol for hundreds, if not thousands of things. It uses it for repair. It uses it to build. It, it has to have a certain amount of cholesterol or my health will literally suffer. But you are seem to be just, uh, you know, one track mind focused on lowering my cholesterol as low as you can possibly get it with pills or injections or infusions. Why are you so hung up on cholesterol being this evil demon? I don't understand, doctor. No, I agree with that. And the point I always make is people talk about good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. There is no such thing. Cholesterol is just one molecule. Yes. Um, because people mix up cholesterol and the way that cholesterol is transported and lipids and this is where it becomes complicated and if anyone wants to do a deep dive in that um i had malcolm kendrick on on the podcast a while back and his book um around cholesterol and the the clot thickens i highly recommend it because he Absolutely. just all the myths in a way that I, that I never could every healthcare provider on the planet should read malcolm's book 100 yeah, percent agree absolutely great guy so Number two on my random list, exercise is great, but it won't help much with weight loss. But that can't be true, Ken, because we all know the answer is eat less and move more, isn't it? Right. Join the gym. You'll lose weight. Yeah. Absolutely. And every gym owner in the country, every uh, purveyor of exercise equipment, they desperately want you to believe this. Yeah. Because otherwise they're out of a job or bankrupt. Right. So the research about this, even modern research is very, very clear about this. Exercise is good for you in hundreds of ways. There's yeah. no arguing that. I'm not saying exercise is not good for you. It is. You should exercise. But if, if your exercise is your primary method of losing weight, you're going to fail. OK, that's the thing. And, and so back again to that motivation and that willpower and that money, those are very important things for the average person walking the street. They only have a limited amount of money, don't they, Graham? Yeah. They only have a limited amount of willpower. They only have a limited amount of motivation. So you need to focus those three very important things on what's going to give you the most effect. What's going to help me lose the most weight? Exercise ain't it. The, 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 the research is very, very clear about this. Yeah. If you exercise a, an insane amount, you might lose a few pounds. Okay. But if you're 20, 30, 50, 100 pounds overweight, 
Do you need to spend your money on, on joining the gym? No, you do not. Do you need to spend your valuable motivation and your valuable and limited willpower on trying to exercise every day? No, you do not. The average person who's overweight, obese, severely obese, not only are they overweight, but they're also very, very inflamed. Yeah. Both physically and mentally. Yep. It hurts to exercise. It, it, they, they literally can be bed bound for days after they do pull up all their motivation and willpower and go to the gym and do a little workout. They're, they're sore for days, if not weeks. Yeah. That is a waste of their time, a waste of their money, a waste of their willpower. They need to focus 100% of their effort, 100% of their money, willpower, motivation on fixing their diet. 95% of the health improvement is going to come from what you put into your mouth and more importantly, what you don't put in your mouth. That's how you start to improve your health in a noticeable amount, in an amount where a few weeks after you start this, your friends and loved ones are saying, wow, you look better. What are you doing? You must have slept really good last night. Did you do something to your hair? You look better. You look younger. I hear that all the time as I obviously steadily, chronologically, I'm getting older, Graham. No doubt about that, right? That's that's logic. But every day people are, jump on the YouTube channel like, I haven't watched one of your videos in a year or two. You actually look younger now than you did yeah, back then. How, what are you doing? How is that possible? Is this witchcraft? No, it's not magic. It's physiology. The, the, the default setting for the human body is good health. That's yeah. the default setting. Absolutely. But when you're poisoning your body with high carbohydrate inflammatory foods, your body's not going to look as good as it could otherwise. It's not going to perform as well as it would otherwise. You're actually slowing down. You're actually speeding up the aging process by eating the crap that big food wants to sell you. And so many people think, oh, I've got to exercise. I'm just, I'm a loser. I'm a sloth. I I can't exercise. It's not time for you to exercise because uniformly what I hear from people is when I fix my food, number one, most important, went through the refrigerator and the pantry and threw away all the shit. And let's call it what it is, Graham, because that's what it it is. And I filled up my pantry and my fridge with real human food. That's part of a proper human diet. And I started to eat that and only that. I felt so much better. Sure, I was losing yeah. weight, but, but my joints ached less. I yeah. wasn't as fatigued. I slept better. I felt more energized during the day. What Uniformly, what people come back to me and say is after a few weeks or a few months of eating a proper human diet, I actually felt like exercising. Yeah. I actually had the energy to exercise. When I did exercise, I wasn't in bed for days afterwards. I actually, I can notice some improvement in my muscle tone. After I exercised, I could get some good positive feedback. Oh, okay. I actually feel stronger now. But when your body is inflamed and metabolically sick, all you're going to do if you try to exercise is waste your time cause a, a worsening of inflammation. You're going to be in bed for or, or on the, the sofa for three days and nothing good's going to come from it. Fix your food first. You'll feel like exercising later, I promise. So you, I talk about a species, appro- uh, species appropriate diet and you have a slightly different phrase for that. And I, it's interesting because you obviously started out with eating a load of what, what you call shit. So what 
I guess I call it poison with added calories, but it's still shit. Um, and then you try the healthy whole grains like we do. And surprise, surprise, it, it, it was no better. It should have been better, but it wasn't. But yes. you've been on a journey because you've been, you've, you went through keto, but you're now, I think, carnivore. Yes. So just talk us through your journey and talk us through what your approach is to a species appropriate diet. Yeah. So the, the one thing that doing this thing that I do on social media is it, it made me dig deeper into research, not only medical and nutrition research, but quickly I thought, you know, I wonder what humans did in the past. Yeah. Because if you look at a, a skull from 20,000 years ago or 50,000 years ago, first of all, their teeth are beautiful. Yep. All their teeth fit in their mouth. They don't have to have their wisdom teeth cut out. They have very few cavities. They might have lost a tooth to trauma, right, in a fight or a fall. But otherwise, they don't have any evidence of dental abscesses. They don't have cavities. But they didn't have toothbrushes or toothpaste or mouthwash. Yeah. How is that possible? That's weird, right? And so yeah. I'm like, I need to dig into that more because I feel like the health of your teeth, that probably is a mirror <laughs> into your overall metabolic health. That makes That's sense, serious. right? Because we know that people eating the diet recommended by the powers that be now, you have to go to the dentist, you have to brush two or three times a day, you have to use floss and and, and all the mouthwashes and still you get cavities, you have to have root canals. That That's weird. Ha have we evolved so much that now our teeth don't fit into our mouth anymore? Have we evolved so much that eating a proper diet causes tooth decay and dental abscesses, that makes no sense. Yeah. And so I started to really dig into archaeology and that led me to anthropology and that led me to paleoanthropology. And it becomes quite apparent if you go back in time more than 12 to 15,000 years and look at the diet that they ate because they had perfect dentition. They were actually taller then than we are now. They actually yeah. had larger brains than we yeah. do now. Yeah. All their teeth fit into their mouth. They didn't have lots of cavities in their teeth. What was that diet? That's the diet I want, right? Yeah. And you think, oh, well, they exercise all day, every day. No, they were actually quite sedentary. They laid around unless they had to run or lift something heavy. Then they did. Otherwise, they were just as lazy as we are. That's, that's proven in the anthropological record. But these people were eating predominantly fatty meat, fatty red meat, predominantly. That was the majority of their diet. Sure, they would eat some tubers or some berries or some honey if they happened upon it, if it was in season. But on a daily basis, they ate fatty red meat. And we can tell this from the stable isotope analysis of their bones and teeth. And in, in, our, in, in younger fossils, if we still have any connective tissue, any cartilage, any of that kind of stuff, we can do stable isotope analysis on that as well. And when you do the stable nitrogen and carbon isotope analysis, and now also zinc, uh, isotope analysis, you, it's obvious. And, and so when you start talking to leaders in anthropology and paleoanthropology, it's, it's known as self-evident that we've yeah. been super carnivores for even before we were homo sapiens sapien. I'm talking about the, a million years ago, two million years ago, we were using weapons and we were bringing down huge fatty animals for over a million years. That's the diet that you're supposed to be eating because I, I say it very often, but it's hard to get, get people to understand. I'm not anti-modern. I don't want to go live in a cave and cook my meat over a fire. And, and you know, I don't want that. I want a yeah. modern life with all the modern accoutrement. I want that. 
I want an iPhone, what, 16 now, whatever the latest thing is, right? I yeah. want all that modern technology. I'm yeah. very technologically motivated. But we all have to remember, we are an ancient species. We are an ancient DNA. You cannot feed us a modern factory-made diet and expect optimal health. That, that will not happen. We have to breathe air. We have to drink water. We have to sleep. We have to get out in the sun. And we have to eat an ancient, proper human diet or you will not realize optimal health. That, that's just it. That would be like if they're like, oh, we've got this new thing. We don't want you to breathe air anymore. We want you to wear this mask and breathe this new modern stuff that we made in a factory. Yep. Everybody would immediately be like, what? I'm not yep. doing that. That don't sound right. We've been breathing air for millions of years. Why You're telling me your factory made air is better. I don't buy that. But we all thoughtlessly buy the, oh, here, we've got you some breakfast cereal here in this plastic bag inside of a cardboard box with a, with a cartoon character on the front. You yep. should eat this instead of bacon and eggs because it's got the American Diabetes Association stamp of approval on it. Why does everybody roll over and eat that and think, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I can trust them on that. But no yep. one would, would breathe modern factory produced air. It's the same thing. It is. So what does your uh, diet look like now? How, how Do you do time-restricted eating? Are you into fasting? What, what does it yeah. look like for Ken these days? So when I first started this journey, Graham, I w I, all I did was lower my carbohydrate yeah. intake. That's all I did. I stopped any added sugar whatsoever, and I really cut back on naturally occurring sugar as well. And then I made, I had this epiphany. The starch in potatoes and in grains, wheat, rice, oats, corn, millet, amaranth, quinoa, that starch is just long chains of sugar. So I should, and also every grain, which is the seed of a grass, has inflammatory things in it. The, the grass doesn't want you to eat its seeds. And yeah. so it puts anti-nutrients and nutrient locking things in there to keep you from gaining access. So I thought I'm going to stop all sugar and I'm going to stop all the grains, all of them. I'm just going to eat meat and veg, a few nuts and a few berries. And immediately I started to, to lose the stored fat that I had way too much of. My A1C, my pre-diabetes started to get immediately better. My dandruff, my rosacea, my uh, my toenail fungus, all of that stuff, my joints, yep. all that started to get better. My mental health improved. I was yep. I was irritable. I was cranky. I, I was I was never really depressed, but I was always pissed off, Graham. All yep. that started to get better too. And I'm like, what? And so then I said, you know, I'm going to get rid of all the vegetable seed oils because, from my reading, human beings just only if you go back over a hundred years, we used animal fat to cook Absolutely. with. Ubiquitously, there was no exception to that. You cook stuff in animal fat. And yep. so I started to only use animal fat. Those three changes, just that sugar, grains, vegetable seed oils, those three things got me 80% back to optimal health. Yeah. But my DNA, I, as Gary Taub says, I fatten very easily. Yeah. And so I lost a bunch of weight on keto but it wasn't enough. I still had the belly. I still had too much. My, my body fat percentage was still too high. I still had some nagging inflammation and I still had. And so I'll quickly, let me uh, go to this. I had severe heartburn reflux, ungodly yeah. 
terrible. I used to take yeah. two Nexium a day. It was so bad, Graham. And yeah, you know that. that. I'm not Watts, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and still I had to have Tums and apple cider vinegar. And it was almost disabling. It was so severe because yeah. I have a small high anal hernia. When I went keto, it got 80% better. I went from two Nexium a day plus all the other stuff to I would take two or three Tums a week when it would flare up. Yeah. So I saw Sean Baker on, on some stupid YouTube video. I'm like, who's this psycho guy? He just eats nothing but meat. <laughs> what? And I'm like, so I had a Facebook page with, with, I don't know, a few hundred thousand people on there. I was like, Hey, let's do a carnivore month, carnivore challenge. Let's do this. Yeah. And so for the next 30 days, I ate only meat and eggs. At the end of that 30 days, Graham, I had, I, I thought I haven't had heartburn a single time. Yeah. And I've also <laughs> lost, I've also lost seven more pounds. And that's when it started occurring to me that a proper human diet, there's a spectrum. Yeah. Somewhere between 100 total grams of carbohydrates a day and as close to zero grams of carbohydrates a day as you can get. My DNA, I'm, I'm, I have more Neanderthal DNA than 97% of the population, okay? All of my DNA comes from the very far north, Nordic, Scotch, Irish, very far north. There is no, There were no carbs. You either yeah. ate fatty meat or you starved to death. That was it. That was your choice. Yeah. And so yeah. my DNA for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of generations has eaten fatty meat. Yeah. That was the predominant part. And so I, I honored that. It was accidental at first. I was just doing a stupid carnivore challenge. But but in honoring my DNA accidentally, after that 30 days, my body was like, yes, sir, this is the this is the spectrum of a proper human diet for you. You need to be as close to zero carb as possible to realize your best health, Dr. Barry. And so I didn't stop carnivore after that one month challenge that was over three years ago. Now I'm like, I'm going to do this for another month and see if, was this just a coincidence or did, is this really my proper human diet? And so I've kept doing carnivore every now and then I'll have some veg or a few nuts or a few berries, but on a daily basis, 99% of my diet is fatty meat, fatty red meat, a little bit of seafood, some eggs, that's my diet now. And as long as I stay on that diet, okay. I feel great every day. I wake up, I'm ready to face the world. My, my waistline is right where I would like for it to be. And so even for me, keto is still too high in carbs. And I know a lot of people are listening to this going, I just got to keto. What are you talking about? I may have to go even lower carb. Maybe. It depends. It depends, it depends on where your DNA has been for the last thousand generations. Maybe, maybe not. I have friends who can eat 100 total grams of carbs. They eat fruit, they eat nuts, they eat berries, but it's still 100 total grams or less. And so that's one of my principles now of a proper human diet is no human on the planet needs more than 100 total grams of carbohydrates a day. Nobody, no, there is no benefit for that whatsoever. You might be able to eat that and still have good health, but there's no benefit of ever going above that. If you want to do it for your birthday and your anniversary, fine, go ahead. But there's going to be repercussions and ramifications. Keep your total carbs under 100 grams a day and think of it as a carbohydrate intake knob. If, you're, if you've got some benefits from going low carb, but not the benefits you were looking for, turn down your carbohydrate intake knob to 50 total grams a day. That may be your sweet spot. If not, turn it down to 20. If not, turn it as close to zero as you can get it. Try 90 days of beef, butter, bacon, and eggs. That's my diet. 99% of the food I eat is beef, butter, bacon, and eggs. And I, I love it. I, I, I'm never bored. I never sit down and go, damn it, another ribeye? you got to be joking me. I'm so 
More bacon? I'm so bored with – no, I never say that. And when I'm truly hungry and I sit down to a beef, butter, bacon, and eggs meal, I smash it each and every time, and I love it each and every time because it yeah. is our ancestral food that our DNA is craving. It, it, I don't know if you noticed, I started to laugh when you mentioned Sean Baker because he was in London recently and a few of us met up with him. And I knew he was big, but I swear, as he approached, there was a total eclipse of the sun. Yes. The guy he has truly a he has more Neanderthal DNA than I do. Uh, it is certain. <laughs> I, mean, I tell you, I swear he ate an entire cow. And I've yes. never seen anyone eat that much. <laughs> but what a lovely, he's such a lovely guy. He's hilarious. So, yeah, yeah. Um, how often do you eat? So I typically eat one or, once or twice a day, and I let my hunger be my guide. I, I follow the principles of intuitive eating. But you can't do that if you're eating high-carb, highly processed crap. You cannot let your, let your body intuitively eat because you'll weigh 700 pounds. And I've got a video on my YouTube channel about intuitive eating, that if you're eating a proper human diet, you absolutely can trust your body. You'll have cravings for certain things and you'll be like, I don't want that right now. I'll maybe eat that tomorrow. You should listen to that. That's probably important. And so I typically don't eat until somewhere between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. That's when I break my fast and I don't try to fast. I just wait until I'm truly hungry to eat. Does that make sense? And so sometimes I'll eat one meal a day. I did that yesterday. I had one big meal about 6 p.m. And when it got closer to bedtime, I'm like, I'm not hungry at all. I'm not going to eat a second time. Today, I'm probably going to break my fast right after this, about 2 or 3 p.m. I'll probably have a second meal at 6 or 7 p.m., and that'll be it. I'll have two meals this day. But I think that not only echoes the lives of our ancestors, because very often, if you didn't have a successful kill, guess what? You didn't eat. Absolutely. And that was fine. Our bodies actually learned to use that fasting time to rejuvenate and repair and to heal and replace that's that's actually a, a very powerful intervention to fast. Now, if you're currently eating a high carb diet, don't try to fast. It's going to be pure misery. Yeah. But when you get on a, a, a diet with enough healthy fat and healthy protein in it, fasting becomes effortless. If, you, if, if some family or social thing pops up right at lunchtime, you're like, whatever, I'm not really hungry. I can totally deal with that. I'll eat later. Yeah. But you can't do that if you're having to eat every two to four hours because you're hangry because you're eating too many carbohydrates and spiking your insulin. Perfect. Which brings me, uh, segues really nicely to my next chapter, which is all calories are not created equal. Yes. And so there are three. Calorimeter. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. You're not a bomb calorimeter. So first of all, a calorie is a unit of heat measurement. Yeah. Number one. Number two, the, all the laws of thermodynamics are, in fact, laws. They, they, yeah. they are laws you, that you must respect them. But all the laws of thermodynamics apply only to closed systems, Graham. And the human body is not a closed system. Yeah. I'm being exposed to the air right now. I'm leaking heat out into the environment. If it's too hot in here, I'll actually absorb heat, right? My butt on the chair is that I'm not a closed system. I'm actually a wide open system. And yep. so the laws of thermodynamics do not apply to human beings in the human diet in the way 
that that uh, healthcare providers and dietitians and and gurus on the internet try to imply. Absolutely. Oh, it's calories in, calories out. Well, first of yeah. all, that's ignorant on its face because I'm not a yeah. closed system. I'm not a bomb yeah. calorimeter. We don't burn food. We metabolize and digest exactly. food. Exactly. That's a completely different chemistry. Completely that's different. not. We don't. Yeah. You don't have a little calorimeter that's burning up your food. We don't even burn. We don't burn calories at all. That is a exactly. misnomer. Everyone yeah. should stop saying that. If you're a healthcare provider. And you say you can burn more calories, that's that's ignorant language. You need to yeah. stop saying that because you're misleading people. And you, and that that misspeaking leads to erroneous conclusions. Because then you start thinking that calories in, calories out is the ultimate. That's it. That's not true at all. So let's let's take the three macronutrients: protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Yeah. Protein we use to build hundreds of things in our body. We don't just burn that for energy, right? Most yeah. people know that they're aware of that. But then the next yeah. macronutrient fat, people think that's just, you You have to burn that for energy or store it as fat. That's it. Not yeah. true. We, we use fat in our diet for thousands of different things from making hormones to making those cell membranes, to making the, the, the myelin sheath on every axon of every neuron in your body. We use fat to build with it. You don't just burn that for calories. Now we come to the third macronutrient, carbohydrates. That's just, you're just going to burn that for energy. You don't need carbohydrates to build or repair anything. And we know this because when we look at ethnographic populations that ate only meat and no carbs, they did just fine. They lived long, healthy lives. They had very low rates of cancer and heart disease. So carbohydrates are the problem. When you eat too many carbohydrates, you're going to store that as fat. Perhaps fat in the liver, which is very dangerous. Perhaps fat in the pancreas, which is even more dangerous. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps fat in your tongue. People with sleep apnea don't realize that the majority of the cause of sleep apnea is fatty tongue. I've got a YouTube video where I talk about this. That's what causes sleep apnea is you have actually marbled your tongue muscle by eating too many carbohydrates and you don't have enough room for your tongue to fit in your mouth and your throat. Therefore, you have sleep apnea. That's why when people lose weight with a lower carb diet, their sleep apnea gets better or goes completely away. So you are not a bomb calorimeter. You don't burn your food. You digest and metabolize your food. That's why the calorie in calorie out model does not apply to the open human system. It applies only to closed systems. Of course, the food industry wants us to believe it's all about calories in, in and calories sure. out. Because sure. that means that Doritos or Coke or McDonald's or Pizza Hut, they're just calories, right? And so long as you yeah. just have you'll be fine. So Just drink a tiny Coke. Don't drink the big Coke. Drink a tiny Coke. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. Your calories are calories. Yeah. Um, there's lots more we could discuss, but I'm conscious of time. And I just think your book is such a brilliant resource. But there's one thing you don't talk that much about, um, but I was watching earlier on uh, your interview with the Chris Palmer and his new book, um, Brain Energy. And perhaps, I don't know whether it's equally true for you, but it's certainly the case for me. I've long been fascinated and understood the relationship between cardiometabolic health um, and diet, physical health, if you like. I've only in the last perhaps year begun to really understand that there's the equally is true for mental health. 
Absolutely. And it's been an absolute revelation to me. I mean, I'm, I've known that people feel better when they eat better, but I've never understood the, the direct relationship between what you eat and schizophrenia or ADHD yes. or bipolar. Um, yes. And I just thought, um, as we come to the end, we perhaps discuss that a bit because it is of such fundamental importance. And none of the drugs work. And yet there's a whole new world out there coming, I think. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And and I am increasingly aware of that. That's why I've, I've, I had Chris Palmer on my YouTube channel. I've also had Dr. Georgia Ede multiple times, who's a psychiatrist yeah. who talks about mental health and what you eat and how much it matters. First of all, let me say that all of the FDA approved psychiatric medications, every single study that the FDA used to approve that drug or uh, the, the regulatory body in, in your country, Graham, the research was designed by the pharmaceutical. Habits. Absolutely. They're literally it was conducted work. by researchers who were paid either directly or indirectly by the pharmaceutical house. And they also have the liberty of doing this. If they perform a study trying to show how great their drug is, and it turns out that the study shows it ain't that great, they have no duty to publish that study. They can bury that study. So they might have six or seven studies going on at a time, looking at the question from slightly different angles. And they'll pick the study that puts their drug in the best light, and they'll bury the other six studies. Yeah. And then the regulatory body uses that study. I, I shit you not, this is how it's done. Absolutely. To give them approval for that drug. And so all of the drugs for depression, for OCD, for anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, in the, the very best studies that were paid for by the drug house show that they're minimally better than placebo. Yeah. Like literally 3% better, 5% better than placebo. That's what they got their approval on. So there's that, first yeah. of all. Then secondly, Chris Palmer and Georgia Ede and many other psychiatrists are really starting to use a proper human diet, low-carb, keto, ketovore, carnivore, to treat their very, very severely mentally ill patients and are noticing near miraculous results yeah. and improvement that, that blow away any improvement they got from pharmaceuticals. And Chris, in my interview with him, he talks about a particular patient who had schizophrenia, who was disabled, who had been in the institution for years. They started feeding this, this fine lady who had been mistreated for all these decades, a very low carbohydrate diet full of fatty red meat. And her schizophrenia got so much better that she didn't even technically meet the, the diagnostic criteria for schizophrenia anymore. Yeah. She was able to go back home and live at home. She was able to start working part-time. It was just, it blew everybody away. Nobody could comprehend that that was even possible. Yeah. So if you're able to, to, to take something as disastrously disabling as schizophrenia and effectively put it in remission, if not cure it with a proper human diet, and then again, I get thousands of, I get feedback, Graham, all the time on all my social media channels. And if, if eating a, a diet full of fatty red meat, if it made depression worse, or if it made anxiety worse, or if it made OCD worse, I would hear about it. Yeah. Repetitively, repetitively, people be like, dude, you suck. I tried this and my OCD got worse. Uniformly, what I hear is I tried this and my depression got so much better. I yeah. was able to either decrease or Stop the medication that I've been taking for the last 17 years. Yeah. My anxiety, my OCD, 
all these things, it got so much better that I was able to decrease or stop the pharmaceutical that I was taking. I've heard that. I can't even guesstimate how many tens of thousands of times now I predict a revolution in, in, in mental health care. It's going to uh, Chris Palmer and Georgia E, they're going to completely disrupt. Yeah, let's hope so. How mental health is cared for and how it's treated. They're going to literally tear that entire industry down to the foundations, which should happen. There are multiple authors that have talked about the fishiness of how mental health is diagnosed, of how it's treated, of how the DSM is even, how they even come up with the diagnoses for mental health. Yeah. How they do it, a bunch of gray-haired gentlemen with long white coats get in a room and they vote. Literally, that's how the DSM yeah. comes up with the diagnostic criteria. It's consensus of experts, experts who believe that diet doesn't matter, experts who believe you need pills and in injections. Yeah. That's how they come up with the diagnosis. And so when, when these psychiatrists, and every day there's a new psychiatrist on board with giving their patients a proper human diet instead of pills, that's going to snowball quickly because we all know someone who's essentially disabled with a mental health problem, right? And when you start seeing these people who were previously disabled, couldn't leave their house, were institutionalized, they're back in society and they're happy and they're interactive and they can lead a normal life again just because they changed the food they ate and more importantly, changed the food that they never eat. Yeah. How can you, how can you unsee that, Graham? It's impossible. You literally... Um, I can't remember I heard this one first, but once you've seen this kind of way of practicing, you can't unsee it. No. And it's literally impossible to go back to the old way of practicing. I mean, I don't know what kind of sociopath you'd have to be to revert to the old ways. I can't, just can't do it now. No. And any rational, ethical healthcare provider, yeah. whether you're a pharmacist, a physical therapist, a nutritionist, a dietitian, a, a, a healthcare provider, at any level, even in, in nurses, hundreds of nurses, Graham, come to me and they're like, look, I work for this doctor and he's 100% high carb, whole grain, fruit juice, smoothies, but I know that's not right now. What can yeah. I do to help my patients? And so there are nurses everywhere around the world who they'll say, yeah, I know the doctor told you that, but when you get home, I want you to look up this YouTube channel. I want you to look up this, this podcast. And they're, they're literally having an effect on the patients, but they can't say it publicly or they'll lose their job or they'll get, they'll get uh, chastised. But yeah. that's the kind of thing that's happening in medicine now. Medicine is crumbling from the bottom up. And many doctors are aware of this and they're starting to turn the tide. Many, many nurses and other mid-level healthcare providers are like, this is stupid. I can't. This is unethical to tell a diabetic to eat 50 grams of carbohydrates in a meal and have a, a 20 gram carbohydrate snack in between. That's, that's immoral. I can't do that. I, in my good conscience, I cannot do that and look at myself in the mirror. And they're not doing that either publicly or privately. They're helping people understand what a proper human diet is. And I applaud all those people. And I think that you're going to see more and more of that as time goes on. Ken, I think that's a, a fantastic way to sum up. Um, We've tried to touch on some aspects of the book. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you that you want to raise before we draw things to a healthy conclusion? Well, my favorite lie is that the sun is bad for you and that this, if you expose your skin to the sun, it will cause skin cancer. Absolutely. 
And this is idiotic. Human beings, we have been playing naked in the sun from literally millions of years ago. From the time we had skin, we were naked in the sun every single day of our life. So if so how is it that only in the early 1970s, how, how is it that that's when the sun started to cause skin cancer? That's weird, right? Right off the bat, you're like, yeah, that is, that's, how does that make sense? Well, I would opine that it's the diet that we've been told to eat, that then our skin cells were literally built out of that diet. Perhaps yeah. the problem's not the sun. Perhaps the problem is the cell membranes of your skin that you're presenting to the sun. Perhaps those cell membranes are crippled. Perhaps yeah. they're built out of inferior materials, which is the diet that you've Absolutely. built them out of. Yeah. You see, when you start to think about things like that, it makes you sound conspiratorial, doesn't it? It's like, it does, so if I, I build my skin cells out of a proper human diet, the building materials I should build my skin cells out of, then I can go out in the sun and get a healthy tan and it won't increase my risk of skin cancer. And in that, that chapter about the sun, I actually encourage people to write to the American Academy of Dermatology and say, hey, could you send me a copy? Here's a, 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 a an address stamped envelope. It won't cost you a penny. Just <laughs> send me a copy of the study that proves that sun exposure causes skin cancer. I, yeah. I await your reply. Respectfully sign your name. Yeah. And people have done that and they get back all kinds of bullshit, but they've never gotten the study that showed definitively that sun exposure causes skin cancer because it doesn't exist. So I completely agree. There are, I'm, it, it brings to mind um, one of Ivor Cubbitt's fantastic YouTubes. He's got a wonderful YouTube called the vitamin D debacle or something. Yes. Like that. And he goes into it in a lot of depth. So Highly recommend that. And and Ken, um, and I've watched quite a few of your YouTubes, obviously in prep for meeting you today. The one with Chris, which I was watching earlier on about mental health, honestly, it, it, it transfixed me. And if you want to be inspired and amazed and have all your myths, you know, challenge a lot of these myths, I, I cannot recommend that uh, video. I, I mean, you've got a huge work. But um, I can't recommend that too highly because it's so current. And I'm very much I've just bought uh, uh, Chris's book and I'm hoping to have him on the podcast uh, at some point in the near yes. future. Yes. What yes. an outstanding, lovely guy. Chris Palmer will probably win a Nobel Prize in the future if the Nobel Prize is continues to be awarded for meaningful work. Absolutely. He definitely will win a Nobel Prize. And we should all support him. Um, where's the best place for people to get hold of you, to follow you? So I have a, a little YouTube channel. I have uh, over 600 videos. And so the best way to find out if I've made a video that can help you is to go to YouTube and just search for Dr. Barry and then whatever malady you currently suffer from, heartburn, hypertension, diabetes, prediabetes, metabolic syndrome, dandruff, toenail fungus, whatever. I've got a video about it. And so that's the quickest way to find relevant videos for you. I also have an Instagram and a Twitter and a Facebook page. If you're feeling snarky and you want to fight with me, then come meet me on Twitter and we'll fight together <laughs> uh, against a common enemy. Uh, we also have a private community at phdhealth.community. I'll send you that link if you if you wouldn't mind posting it, Graham, where we have a private protected community of people who have 
are rediscovering a proper human diet and, and they it's a very supportive community. So if you need yeah. group coaching, if you need that sense of community, if you need to have friends who are like, Hey, I got your back. That's the place. And, and there's, there's no algorithm. There's no ads. There's no big tech trying to steal your data. That stuff doesn't happen in that private community, but I'm on all social media because that's where people are. Brilliant. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure and a joy to to talk to you. My um, pleasure. Thank you. I, you know, I can't, like we say, many people, my buddies that I've met on Twitter, absolutely. Um, I feel like I know you, but we've never actually met. So I hope yes. at some point um, we're, we're planning to come to the States for the low carb conference in March. So I don't know if you're going to be around in Denver. Yeah, I'll be in Denver. Absolutely. Oh, brilliant. Well, I'll see you there. Yes, I'll see All you right. there, Graham been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. And well, hope to see you in Denver, if not before. Yes. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to find out more, join our Wellness and Pro Longevity Facebook group. Don't forget to subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode and maybe share to friends and family who might benefit. Finally, if you think you might need help with diabetes, heart disease, or any of the other diseases we discuss, then book a free consultation with Graham. There's absolutely no charge for this, and we would never put you under any pressure. What do you have to lose? Bye for now, and see you for the next episode.